Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I pray that as believers, we've already, we know what the writing on the wall is. So I pray that we're, we're approaching non-believers as well with that same kind of heart that Daniel has where he's like, I, listen, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Daniel didn't care if it was going to upset the king. He didn't care if it was going to offend the king. He didn't care because Daniel knew what the writing on the wall meant. You and I know what the writing on the wall means for people who don't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. We live in a world today that's completely contrary to God and those who believe in Him. There's a blatant and terrible disregard for God, and that's going to bring a dreadful and eternal consequence. Daniel saw God's writing on the wall, and he knew that it was over for the king because of his rejection of God. Today, Pastor James is going to encourage you, the believer, to courageously and boldly proclaim God's truth. To those who are destined for this judgment, don't worry about offending them. They need the truth spoken in love and concern, in an effort to save them. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Daniel, chapter 5, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. He doesn't need us, but man, isn't it cool that he uses us? It's amazing. Here's Belshazzar. He's probably not expecting Daniel. He, all he wants is Daniel. He's like, just tell me what that says. And Daniel's like, uh-uh, we're not getting to that yet because you got an issue and your issue is pride. You're a prideful man. I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> this is what Grandpa Daniel is saying. He's like, I'm going to deal with your heart right now. This is an act of grace by, by Daniel. Don't mistake it. This is an act of grace. Because in one sense, what Daniel is doing is revealing this king's wretched heart to himself. They're saying, you're, you're not right. You're not right. Daniel already knows what it means. Daniel, as soon as he walked into that room, he probably saw and said, ooh, yikes. Hey, Belshazzar, you better humble yourself. I, I mean, I admire this. And, and as, as a pastor, I, I have tremendous amounts of respect for Daniel who can stand before people and say, hey, we'll, we'll get to this stuff later. Let's talk about your heart right now. Is your heart set on him? Because if it's not, then you're not right. And the most important thing in your life right now is that your heart belonged to Jesus. Because guess what, guys? The writing is on the wall for all of us. The writing is on the wall for all of us. Belshazzar is like, dude, I just want you to tell me what it says. And I'm really, fingers crossed, hoping it's something good. <laughs> Although they know anytime God's hand shows up and writes on the wall, it's not going to be a good thing. Sweet party, bro, right? No, that's not what he's doing. That's not what he's writing on the wall. He says, this is what Daniel says. And Daniel, again, he, he hasn't been at the party. He hasn't been at the party. Verse 23, but you have lifted yourself up or lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. 
and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and those whose are all your ways, uh, you, have not, you have not honored. Essentially what he's saying there is like, um, Boshazar, you've taken the vessels of God from the house of God, the temple of God, and you've defiled them. This is a blatant, absolute, I mean, he, he's elevating himself above God. He's like, your grandfather knew better than that. In fact, your grandfather learned a great lesson by doing that because that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He's like, you should have learned from his lesson. But because you haven't learned from his lesson, Belshazzar's probably like, can I be a cow for like seven months or seven seasons? Can I do that? And he's like, "Mm -mm. no, you should have learned. You had an example to learn from. You have no excuse. You have no excuse. That's a, that's a heavy thing. That's a really heavy thing, especially for those who've grown up in Christian homes. That's a very heavy thing. You have no excuse. God's a God of grace. He's a God of multiple chances. And even in this story, I mean, even Daniel recounting that story of Nebuchadnezzar some 23 years earlier, you would think that Belshazzar would be like, okay, okay, look, I'm sorry. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn to God and all that. We have, there's no, there's none of that. There's none of that. Daniel's like, God holds your breath in his hands. This involuntary thing that we do. Praise God, we don't have to think about breathing, right? I mean, well, sometimes that's necessary. But our, this breath, this life that's within our lungs, God holds it in his hands. Meaning he's in control of your life. Full control of our lives. He knows all our ways. And he's like, look, he knows that, man, you've just totally disrespected him. You've dishonored him. Verse 24, he says, then from his presence, the hand was sent. And this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Uh, mene, mene, tekel, uh, parson, right? And this is his interpretation. Uh, mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end, uh, Tekel or tekel, uh, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez or Parzin, however, uh, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. He's like, you want to know what that says? Boshazar, your time's up. Your time's up. And as Daniel was probably more than likely, as Daniel's explaining this interpretation or interpreting the word of God to Belshazzar, Darius is marching into Babylon. Oh, because they were already, there was already like an assault on Babylon earlier. 
Belshazzar should have known that. He should have, he's like, we'll, we'll protect ourselves because nobody can get in through Babylon, through our, our 300 plus you know, foot walls and our 80 feet thick and all this good stuff. Plus we have an inner wall and all this good stuff. And we have the Euphrates River running right into our city. We can live for 20 years hidden in our town. Oh, until Darius and his crew begin to divert the Euphrates River to another way. And it dries up. Oh, and then by the way, everybody is at your party. Genius. Everybody's at your party. Even your guards are at your party getting wasted. Oh, and that's not even accounting for the two guys, as history would tell us, who desert him, are fleeing the city, and encounter Darius and say, we'll show you the way in. We'll show you right in. Let's go in right through this dried up river. It's the only place that nobody's watching, but because they're all getting wasted at this party and they forgot to lock the door. Isn't it amazing how God works? The whole time, the whole time. And God had told him, God told Nebuchadnezzar in that interpretation of that dream that we saw chapters ago with the golden head and that it would be replaced this is the night it gets replaced because the Medes and the Persians are already at your front door and they're already coming in. Belshazzar, it, it seems as though he had his moments. I mean, he could have, again, he could have, but within his heart, he, he has, there's no concern for God at all. None at all. He has no respect for him, no respect for the vessels and all that good stuff. He has no regard for him at all. And in even this message, it has no, it doesn't even resonate with them. Daniel drops this great proclamation. It's like, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. It's done. Babylon's done. The kingdom of Babylon has fallen, is what Daniel's saying. Verse 29, Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and the proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. What kingdom? He just told you there's no kingdom. Well, I told him I'd give him the stuff if he interpreted it. And they're like, dude, have you lost your mind? Give him the gold chain. Give him the purple robe. All right, here you go, Daniel. You are now the ruler. And Daniel's like, I don't want your stuff because it's meaningless. It's worthless. You're not even in control. God has just dethroned you. He has just dethroned you. It says, verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now, Darius the Mede, um, we know that Darius would rule for about two years until um, Cyrus would come along. Okay. So you got Darius, uh, and Darius was more than likely like the, the general of the army. He's the guy being used to conquer all these other places. So he would establish rule there within Babylon, because we're going to see him in chapter six. But he, he was not like, he's not the rule there, because you have the Medes and the Persians. This is a dual leadership thing happening there, all while waiting for Cyrus, who was up in the north, finishing out a few campaigns up there. Getting, and then would be working his way to Babylon. 
But that, that's it. Like, that's, that's the end of Nebuchadnezzar. That's the end of his family. That's the end of the golden head. And just like God said it was going to happen, it happened. And even if Nebuchadnezzar, back in his pride, back, you know, in his earlier days with his pride and arrogance where he wants to build a, a, a solid gold statue because he's like, no, 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 I'm beyond just being a golden head. I'm the whole deal. God's like, no, you're not. You're just a head. Somebody's going to replace you. Another governmental system is going to replace you. And then another one's going to replace that one. And then another one's going to replace that one. And then you get down to the feet of the statue and it's just clay mixed with iron, which is super brittle, super weak. That's the last of it because then the big rock from the sky named Jesus is about to land on this thing and totally obliterate all human governmental systems. Some of them we appreciate. Some of them are worthless, but none of them are as effective or as powerful as a God-governed place, theocracy. But that's it. The gold head, boom, gone, chopped off, like out of here. It's time for the Medes and the Persians, and they would rule, and they would conquer other areas and all that good stuff, and then, in spoiler alert, they're going to be replaced as well. But The sad thing about this is here you have Belshazzar. We know nothing of him, so to speak, other than a few hours of his life. And all that we know of those few hours of his life is, well, he threw a really big party. He thought it'd be a great idea to disrespect God by bringing all the vessels from the temple into this room, into this party, so that he and all his other, you know, co-partiers can drink out of these vessels dedicated to the worship and service of God. And then God shows up and crashes his party. And then they got to call on, they got to call on, as far as we know, one of the only people who has a relationship with God to come in and to interpret the word of God, which really just spells out the doom of Belshazzar. It's like, dude, writing's on the wall, man. You dishonored God. You disrespected God. You should have learned from your grandfather, but you chose not to learn from him. Your grandfather was humbled, but then also humbled himself and turned his eyes upward to God and worshiped God. You should have done that. You could have done that. You chose not to. You chose not to. In fact, you chose to go the opposite way where you're like, God, what God? Let's get his stuff. Let's defile his stuff. We, we could choose from all these other, other gods, but no, let's go after God Almighty. Let's go after the God of the Hebrews. And even in the end, even after the interpretation, there's nothing. Get him the robe. Get him the gold chain. Here, Daniel, you're now a co-ruler with me and my dad. Daniel's like, I don't know. Pass, I'm going back to bed. I'm going to go back to bed. I'll never see you again. He's done. He's done. And, uh, and that's, that's the sad reality from, uh, man, just, just this mindset of like people living in the world. And it's, it, it's tragic. I mean, especially once you step over opportunities and opportunities and opportunities to, to humble themselves and to surrender their lives to the Lord. And it's like, listen, the writing is on the wall for all mankind, He's coming back. He's coming back. I praise the Lord that 
well, like in the story, I'm kind of like Daniel. Where it's like, I don't, I don't need your stuff, world. I don't need your stuff. I can open up this book. I can read it. I don't understand everything about this book. But man, I praise God that the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me can give me insight into what it says. So this is no longer a mystery, so to speak. But I have this. And I also can sleep well at night. Because I'm sure that's what Daniel did. He probably went back to his room. Went back to bed. Woke up the next morning. What's up, Darius? Um, You need me? I'm here. And uh, Daniel would face another trial. Another major trial under a new ruler, new leadership. Daniel never sweated it, though. And I praise God that believers today, you can be like Daniel. We We can totally be like Daniel. While the world may be, you know, spitting in the face of Jesus and all this stuff, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be here. I'm here, and I'm not gonna sweat anything. I'm gonna sleep really well at night because I'm not worried about anything. And uh, the handwriting on the wall has no effect to me at all, and it didn't have any effect to Daniel other than like, well, I guess I'm gonna get a new boss. So there's that. Uh, but he wasn't concerned about that, so to speak. But he was concerned about what that meant for this king that wanted nothing to do with God. And that's the other element of being like Daniel. Because I can promise you this, Daniel walked into the room and saw the message immediately and then knew how to address the king. I pray that as believers, we've already, we know what the writing on the wall is. So I pray that we're, we're approaching non-believers as well with that same kind of heart that Daniel has where he's like, I, listen, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Daniel didn't care if it was going to upset the king. He didn't care if it was going to offend the king. He didn't care because Daniel knew what the writing on the wall meant. You and I know what the writing on the wall means for people who don't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So the time of being like concerned about what people are going to think about me and if I'm going to offend them, it's over. It's done. You got to be like Daniel where it's like, dude, your heart's not right. That offends me. I don't care. Your heart's not right. I care about you, but I don't really care about your feelings right now, so to speak. I care about you and where you go when it's all said and done. That's what I care about. I'm not saying you go and be a jerk because that's that's swinging to the opposite end. We're not doing that, but it's like, man, especially nowadays, we just tiptoe around everything. I don't want to say it because I don't want to offend. It's like people are dying and going to hell. People are facing that same kind of night that Belshazzar was facing. And I, he went in and, and, you know, and for the end of him, and I mean, he was told at the end, like, man, this is, your, your grandfather did this. But he turned. But he turned. I think we need to be like Daniel, where you know how to show up. You got to be in the word. Because the only way you can, you know, bring clarity to the word is if you yourself spend time actually in the word, studying the word. But we know how, we, we just need to know how to show up and, you know, and, and communicate to people that, man, the writing is on the wall. Like, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Because the time's, time's ticking, man. There's not much time left. 
And I know that's a, I don't know if that's a popular thing nowadays. I seem to hear that a little bit more, especially with the past year and a half that we've gone through. But that's not like hyperbole or anything like that. Of like, we, the signs are all there. Like, the end is near. Like, he is coming back soon. There's, there's nothing else that has to happen. We're going to show up. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. Love them by telling them the truth. Love people by telling it's truth and love. Love them by telling them the truth. And, and like, I love this from Abraham Lincoln, my favorite president of all times. I don't care what any of these people say about Abraham. And they're like throwing mud on Abraham Lincoln all of a sudden. I'm like, dude, come on, get over it. I mean, this dude was a great leader, a tremendous leader. In fact, one of the best leadership books I've ever re- uh, read in my life is based upon Abraham Lincoln and his leadership style. Tremendous book. He spoke of it as like, you know, you need to have, you need to have like that iron fist, but like clothed in a, a velvet glove. I mean, that's like truth. That's what like speaking truth and love should represent. It's like the truth, it might be harsh, but man, it's, it's covered by this love. And it's, I, I got to tell you the truth because I love you. Because I love you. Because the most unloving thing to do would be to withhold the truth if we're honest. Um, So I want to read you guys a couple of uh, cross-references. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 19, 19 and 20 says this. With all other religions out there, why do you think Christians bear the brunt of the attacks? Okay, so this is all connected to that vessels of God. And why why did he single out those vessels, right? Um, But let me just remind you what the New Testament has to say. First uh, Corinthians six nineteen through twenty says, "Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own." Wait a minute. That's let's not let's remove. No, no, you're not your own. You, oh, somebody didn't tell you that when they led you to the Lord, huh? No, when you surrender your heart to Jesus, you no longer are in charge of your life. You are not your own. Wait a minute. It's my own life. I'm the, I'm the captain of my own destiny. Good luck with that. Well, good luck with that. You're going to be a captain lost at sea, all right? You're going to be, I just give him your life. Trust him. You're in, man, you're, you're in the best hands. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, right? So that's one. You and I, temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells inside of you. The Holy Spirit does. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Second uh, Timothy chapter two, verses 20 through 21. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor, for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Your body, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, guess what? You're also a vessel. So I do find it fascinating that the one thing that Belshazzar went after, well, two things he went after were the temple of God and the vessels of God. New Testament times, that's you, that's me. Why is the world singling out Christians? Because they are. Because they are. Now, you don't believe me. We can have a conversation afterwards. 
but the world is going after Christians. Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the book of Daniel. In it, you'll notice many interesting storylines through Daniel's life. He was exiled from his birthplace and was an alien in a foreign country for the rest of his life. What would it be like to live in a country that wasn't yours for all of your adult life? Would you wallow in self-pity because of your circumstances, or would you make the most of where God chose to use you? Daniel did the latter, making an impact in a wicked country that worshipped foreign gods. But God still used him in a mighty way. God can do the same with you today as you live your life in a country and world that you might not belong in. You may feel outnumbered and surrounded by idolatry of all sorts, but God can still use you greatly, even in this ministry. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we'd be honored if you'd pray with us for all of those who are a part of our listening audience. Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Would you also pray about partnering with us financially? All donations are appreciated no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. There's much more to learn and glean from the Old Testament book of Daniel, including prophecy and faith. We hope you'll tune in again for another edition with Pastor James, as he has more to share about the life of Daniel here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.